We are here this morning to continue in your study in the book of Revelation. Are you enjoying it? We've uh, been busy now for three weeks. This is our fourth week. We spent three weeks on chapter one. I don't know how long we're going to spend on chapter two and three. Because as you know me, we want to go in deep and see what the word teaches us. But we are getting to one of the most exciting passages for me in the book of Revelation. And I know when we get to chapter 4 and onwards, I'm going to say the same thing. Because the whole book is so exciting, isn't it? This morning we're going to talk about the dispensation of grace. Grace. How wonderful is the grace of God. We're experiencing it. Friend, the fact that you are sitting here this morning in the house of God is by the grace of God. And we've said grace is receiving something which we did not deserve. So we're in a dispensation that we did not deserve. The acceptable year of the Lord. God's favor through Jesus Christ. We are getting it. And how much work did you do for that? Nothing. Grace means charity. Grace means it's been given to you and to me for no work, for no price. And I thank God that it's for no price. Because if it was for a price that you had to pay in dollars, I wouldn't have had enough money for that. And only the rich and the elite will sit down and say, we've got grace because we purchase it. Here is something that you and I can have without money. The dispensation of grace. It is so wonderful. It's fantastic. And the next few chapters that we're going to discuss opens up this dispensation of grace for us. So we're going to look at that this morning. So as you remember, the key to the book, or one of the keys to the book of Revelation is chapter 1, verse 19. It says, when this instruction came to John in the Isle of Patmos, he said, write down the things which you have seen. And what did he see? He saw in chapter 1 Jesus. And how wonderful was it for you and for me to see Jesus the way we're going to see Him when He appears to us. You want to know how He looks? It's not like the Roman Catholic Church on the cross still hanging there. No, they took Him off. They put Him in a tomb. And you know what happened. The stone was rolled away and you should shout hallelujah when you hear that. Every single time you hear that, they rolled the stone away. But he didn't need the stone to be rolled away because he was risen from the dead. A stone couldn't hold him back. And he ascended up on heaven and they saw him for the last time. And now in chapter 1 we saw how John saw him and that's the way you're going to see him. You're going to look into his fiery eyes. And then he says to him in that same verse, he says, which you have seen, that is the past tense chapter 1, and then he says, and the things which are, which is the present tense, and that's chapter 2, which we also call the church age, or the dispensation of grace. Write down the things which are. We are present in this age, the church age. And then he continues on to say, and the things which will take place after this, metatauta, my brother said it this morning, it's the word metatauta, it means something comes to completion and then another starts. And we'll address that when we get to the chapter 4. That's future tense and he's going to talk from chapter 4 to 21. But this morning we are talking about the dispensation of grace. So where did it start? And remember what I said, that if you want to truly understand the book of Revelation, you need to know your Bible. It's no good you open up the last chapter of the book and you try to understand what's going on. Because before this book, there is 65 other books which talks about Jesus Christ which talks about His love for you and for me, so that when you come to the last book, my dear friend, that is when you understand when He uses terms and phrases and you reflect back to the Old Testament because the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And we come to the apex, to the crux, to the point of the revelation of the whole book, which is sitting here in the book of Revelation. 
and talking about a time that we are living in, the best you can know about the church is in the following two chapters. And you will find your and my condition and the whole church condition in these two chapters. As you remember, I said before, there's a threefold application to the book of Revelation. First, a local application. There were seven churches which this applied to directly. There's also a prophetic application, which means it talks way back then to us, here today, a prophetic application. And then if you're going to read after chapter 4 onwards, a future application, which is still prophetic. And then there's a personal application. You sit here and this message today will be addressed to you personally, and I'll show that to you. So where did this dispensation of grace comes from? First of all, we need to go back to Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. I'm not going to hurry this because I want you to understand what's going on here. Okay? I know that uh, we've got much to say, but I want to take you slowly through this so you understand where this came from. Isaiah 61 verse 1. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Now this is written in the book of Isaiah, but it is a messianic writing. What does it mean? This applies to Jesus Christ. Although Isaiah wrote it way before Christ was born. So he writes down, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison of those who are bound. Now listen to this in verse 2. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, comma, and the day of the vengeance of our God. Two things there. I want you to notice that. And then it goes right after that. These are all time periods which has happened back then but it's going to happen in the future these are marks i don't have to look around before to see what's going to happen i look at the bible he says these to comfort all who mourn what mourning is that you need to go and find out remember zechariah when he said those who pierced me they will weep in jerusalem he says to those to console those who mourn in Zion. Where is Zion? It's the heavenly mountain. It's Mount Zion. It points towards Jerusalem. It points towards Israel. To give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. You see that? Trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. And I want to re reference this to Psalm 1. What is Psalm 1 talking about? We're like a tree planted by the waters. And what is He referring to there? He refers to Jesus. He refers to the Word of God. He refers to the flow, the flow that keeps you as a tree of righteousness righteous. You cannot find righteousness outside of Jesus Christ. Doesn't matter how you look for it, it ain't there. The only righteousness is in Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1 verse 1, he writes down, he says, In the beginning was the word Logos, which refers to Jesus Christ. And he was with God, and he was God. And in Him is righteousness. That is why, dear friend, if you want to be a tree of righteousness, you need to be planted into the tree of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ. Out of Him comes righteousness. How wonderful is that? Now I want you to concentrate now, because years later, Jesus Christ walks into a synagogue. And this happens in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. He says, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of whom? The prophet Isaiah. How privileged are you and I to have the book of Isaiah in front of us? We don't have to guess. You see, God's work is not a guessing game. 
It is sure and secure and perfect, correct. He's, they gave him the book of Isaiah, as it custom was, they, the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book. He found the place where it was written. Now, let me just tell you this. Chapter divisions came in later. It wasn't there when Jesus had that scroll. It wasn't as if Jesus told the people there, open up in Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1. It wasn't like that. We had a privilege of doing that. And later on in years when they printed the Bibles, they made it easy for us so that I can stand here this morning and say, open up there. But in Jesus' day, it was a scroll. It was a book. So he went through. It's not as if he went, pick that verse. No, no, no. He opened up specifically. He was looking for this passage which was written way before he was born, but it was a messianic passage which applies to him. That is powerful. Now he found this place, specifically chosen by him. And let's see what he reads out of that book. Well, it's not going to be a surprise to us, because he reads what we just read. He found it in verse 18. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now let me just pause here for a second to say this. My friend, what we just read is the work of the church. That is what we're supposed to do. Not get involved with politics. Not trying to get involved to get rid of diseases in the world. Not to take on the Muslims or Islam. Not to, no, 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 no. Those are things which is trying to get your attention away from what we need to do. We follow the Master. You remember when we studied the book of John? I said, just follow Jesus. And take His example. And you know what He lies down here? He lies down a path for you and for me to do. We need to preach the gospel, and the gospel, my dear friend, is this year, it's to the poor, it's to heal the broken heart, and to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's the work of the church. Not to make mullah money. Not to build all of these mega churches and throw all of your money into that. Not to take up offerings and tithes and all of these things. Not to fly around in jet planes and all of these things. And you know I say that deliberately because the spirit of the world has moved into the church so that they don't operate in the spirit of my Lord Jesus Christ anymore. You see, these days they stand behind pulpits for themselves and not for God anymore. I had to say that. This is what He came to do. And if we carry His Spirit in us, that's what we do. The work of the church is to do what is in front of us. Now I want you to concentrate now on this. In verse 19, He says, in Jesus, He read the book, He says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then what do you see there? You see a point, a full stop. What does it mean? What does a full stop mean? It means a sentence stop there. Is that right? But when we go back into... The prophet's book, what was that? A comma means there's something coming after this. So Jesus stops it with a comma, then he closed the book. Now I always say, I don't like to parachute into the middle of a verse or into the middle of a book and try to make a story out of that. The only one who's authorized to stop in the middle of the verse is my Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know why? Because he's the word. And he stops there. Closes the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Surely they knew the scriptures and think, hey Jesus, you've stopped too early. The first goes on. But you see, he deliberately stopped there. And then he said to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What did he say? He said, through him came grace. Because what did he leave out? The day of the vengeance of our God. In their midst, through him came grace. Because he was going to die at that cross for you and for me. We did not deserve this table. 
I can say that over and over again. My brother said it so perfectly this morning. We deserve nothing that was here. It was by grace that we received it. That there is telling them it is the dispensation of grace. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. Two things that stood out. He left out the day of the vengeance in the midst of them. And I'll tell you what, dear friends, while you and I sitting here, that acceptable year of the Lord is still open. Sinners are still coming to Christ because it's still the acceptable year of the Lord. So, if we look at the acceptable year of the Lord, it says in Psalm 89 verse 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. I love this. What is the foundation? It's the thing that keeps the whole thing up. And what is it here? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of His throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. I tell you what, you need to underline this verse and, and study this verse. Because there ain't any way that you're going to come before Him in unrighteousness. Because the foundation is righteousness. And then He says, blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. What sound is that? For us, dear friend, is the sound of salvation. The sound that you are saved by the blood of the Lamb. How wonderful is that? Then that He says they walk. What is it? They walk, O Lord, in the light of your countenance. Oh, I've seen a light. You know what? It says again in the, in, in the Gospel of John. He says, in Him was life, and that life was the light of this world. He says it in the Old Testament, the people who were sitting in a land of the shadow, a light has appeared unto them. Isn't it wonderful? He is the light, dear friends. It is the acceptable year of the Lord through Jesus Christ. We are living in that age. We are living in the church age. But then there's a second one, and he says, the day of the vengeance of our Lord. I want to tell you this morning, you don't want to go through the vengeance of God. Who's it going to be upon? Well, Paul writes about this. It is amazing how they, they knew what this is all about, but today the church is so ignorant of this. And I'll tell you why the church is so ignorant of this day of the vengeance. They don't want to hear it anymore. No, it's a prosperity gospel, isn't it? We should be preaching this day in and day out. People should know what they leave themselves in if they do not walk with Christ. They should know this. Oh, but that is a hate message. No, it's not. It's love. You are showing them you're on your way to death, but now you can have life. Listen to Paul when he writes this to Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. He says, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of everyone you all abounds towards each other. I just wonder about this when I look at the church today. And the love of every one of you abounds towards each other. I, I just wonder. Isn't it wonderful when you read those words and you look at the church and you think, where's the love? Guess what? We're going to look at the church today and it's going to talk about love. Now look at this. The Bible is like, it's like uh, uh, you know, it, the threads are just in, entwined into each other. He goes on to say now, verse 4, So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecution and tribulation that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. You see, we read in Psalm that righteousness and justice is the foundation of the throne. He knew this. He wrote this down. It's the Holy Spirit who write your book through Paul. Now listen that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Verse 6. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. You hear that? Those who trouble the Christians. I'm talking about the true Christians. I'm not talking about washy-washy. Christians. I'm talking about the blood-washed children of God, those who trouble you. There is coming upon them a penalty. The people who poke their finger into Israel's eye is going to be poked by God. That's my version, okay? 
The people who's doing things to the blood-washed child of God, there cometh a day. I want you, and let's, I, I hope this goes out wide so that they hear it, but my Bible says they will be get repaid from God. It's not for you then to go and repay them. God will take care of it. You just do what we saw Jesus said. You remember? <laughs> Luke chapter 4, 17. Do those things. Preach the gospel. Keep on doing it. If people put you down, God will take care of them. But don't pray that God take care of them. Pray for their souls. That's love. Now it goes on to say in verse 7, And to give you who are troubled, listen to this, rest. Rest. With us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, give them rest. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God. There cometh, listen, this world is sleeping. There comes a terrible thing for them. A terrible thing. And you sitting here should not be able to go sleep at bed at night knowing what's coming for this world. You should pray for this world. You should pray for lost souls. While we are sitting here, thousands is going to hell to an eternity without Christ. And here it says it, he writes it down, he says, and those who do not know God, what is coming for them? They cometh a judgment. The vengeance of God is coming upon them. I can't be more serious about that. And now he goes on to say, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two things, which is also critical. Remember, there's a personal application here. There's a per it applies to you, not only to the world. I'm not poking fingers. I'm talking to us. I'm talking to myself. The Word of God is a two-edged sword. It cuts both ways, friend. Listen, listen to this. Those who do not know God, you might sit here this morning and you say, yeah, I know God. I know Him. But He says also those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is coming? Jesus Christ stopped. He said there, and I proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, full stop. But friend, there cometh a day when that acceptable year will stop. And the vengeance of our Lord will come upon this earth. It's coming. Is it serious? Come on, I'm asking you this morning. How serious is this? And we thought we can just come to church and warm the benches. No, no, no. Friend, we need to pray. Pray, pray, pray. This church, I'm, I'm going to confess it to, to you. We as a church need to come together and pray. We don't do it often. We need to. You know, I, 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 I commend churches who come together and pray. This world is going lost. We're talking about the acceptable year of the Lord. We're in the dispensation of grace, but still people are going lost in this time. How shameful is that? Now let's continue. You see, Jesus Christ Himself came and set up His church. Is that right? We find this in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus, you remember when Jesus asked uh, Peter, what does the people say? I am. And, and here in verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, he turned to Jesus and he said to him, before that he said to him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Wow! That was so amazing for Peter to say those words. If you look at the life of Peter to come to that point, and then he turns to him in verse 16, Matthew 16, 17, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Oh, man, the Roman Catholic Church has used that as their cornerstone, okay? That's the Pope they read into that verse. They are so deceived. You know what? Those previous verses that I just read, that applies to them as well. Can you just send this to the Pope to listen and pray that the God touches his heart to turn that big, big false religion around to follow Jesus Christ? What a day that will be. Now listen to this. He says, And on this rock I will build my church. And listen, And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So who built the church? Jesus Christ. He came to set up his church. 
You and I are sitting in a church that Jesus Christ himself came and he said, you see, friends, he is the founder of the church, isn't it? He said he will build the church. He is the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Ephesians 2.20 says that Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. He is the head of the church, not the pastor. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. It's all in your scripture. It's all written, Ephesians 5.23, even as Christ is the head of the church. He is the message of the church. You know what Paul said in Corinthians? He says, I preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So why do we have in churches now the soft, wishy-washy, people-made messages coming from the pulpit? You know what the message from Christ is? He says, repent of your sin and follow me. He's the message of the church. He's the main topic. The just shall live by faith. And faith has been granted to us through grace. And now we found in the first century that there's such a big attack on the church. You've read it in your Bibles. How they took the Christians and threw them into the Colosseum and animals tore them apart and they were killed by gladiators. They killed, they tried to kill all the Christians. You see, as soon as Christ established the church, the devil are against him trying to destroy the church. And, and they do, and even to this day, they are physically trying to destroy the church of Christ. Thousands die. Even today, thousands die for their faith. But what did Jesus say? The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've seen over the years how this attack has changed in countries like ours. We're living in the Western world. We don't see people's head being chopped off because of their faith. It's not as if they storm into this church and burn it down and kill me as the pastor and kill a few people. Though that can happen any time. Are you prepared to die sitting in church? It happens all over the world now. They're going to try to kill the Christians. They are trying it since ages going on. But look, it's not the people who's doing it. It's the one sitting behind them. It's Satan. He's like a roaring lion looking around who he can devour. But you see, I've seen in the Western world how the attack on the church is not by gun. It is from the pulpit. You see, Satan came in and he, and he watered down the message. It's a so help me message these days. The songs that they sing in the churches these days is an attack on the church of God. It's not helping the church. Listen to the songs. They are singing about me, me. You see, and, and the messages from the pulpit. Listen very carefully, friends. Listen when you listen to these people. The Christ is being taken out of the center and they preach about man. It's humanism. That's the attack on the church today in our world, in the Western world. It's not the true, un, you know, the comp, it's, an, it's not an un, uncompromised message anymore. It's compromised. The attack is against the church. So, like a cold glass of water in a hot day in your face, let this message of Christ to the churches come to you and me and wake us up out of what's going on in the world. There's a war against the church, and it's raving more fiercely now than ever before. You see, friend, we saw the spirit of the world enter into the church, and it's occupied by that. Now, let's go into the first church. That was the introduction. We see in these first seven churches, the letters share a similar structure. And we're going to look through these churches in this structure. They each have a unique title of Jesus Christ. And you're going to get excited about this because there's a practical application for you. They also has got an approval from our Lord and an accusation and then an admonition from God and then a promise. So let's read the first church as we're just going to look at Ephesus this morning. In Revelation chapter 2 verse 1 he says to the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands I know your works your labor your patience and that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not how do we have a lot of that today don't we you see it's written for us and have found them liars. 
the problem today is they do find them liars and they do nothing about it. It's amazing. It's sometimes laughable. Liar, liar. Pants on fire. Isn't that what they say? I, I th- is, is it a good thing to say or not? I don't know. I'm, if it is and I've offended somebody, I deeply apologize this morning. They find them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. How tragic is that? Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Selah, think about that. But this you have, that you have hate the deeds of the Nicolaians, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see, Ephesus was a famous city in the ancient times. A very affluent city. Very well strategically placed. In fact, this is the only church that both the Lord through John on the Isle of Patmos and Paul writes to. Paul wrote to seven churches, and here is seven churches in Revelation. The churches that Paul wrote to Rome, Corinth, none of those, none of those appears here, except the church to Ephesus. Very affluent city, very religious city. The proconsul of the Romans was situated in this city. It was also seen as a small Rome, although the Greek culture came in richly into that city, and it mingled there. It was also a city of freedom of religion. That's why you see that Paul had much success there. Uh, But there was also one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana, which was a, uh, a false god, or that was the Roman name for Artemis, the Greek goddess. And she was a virgin herself. It's a goddess. Now, this is what they talk in mythology. She was a virgin herself, but she was known for fertility and childbirth. And the symbols which they had for was this woman with the golden bow and arrow, a dog and a deer. And she was known for that as a hunting goddess and a moon. And later on, she was replaced, or later on added to her was the woman with the many breasts. I don't know if you've seen that before. That was part of the fertility. Around this, there was a lot of prostitutes around this. In fact, when they finished, they they built the temple, the first temple down, uh, where the river and the sea met each other. But then, when the water came up, it started lifting up to this temple, and at a very high cost, they moved this temple up. And when they moved it up, they lifted it up on poles. Inside, it was built with marmor, every single thing you can look of. In fact, like they say, it was one of the seven wonders of the world back in the day. And as you read, they say when you came afar off, you could see it glisten. You could see it. It was standing out. They've built the ground so that it was earthquake prone. It couldn't be shaken by earthquake. So this was a place to be. When they finished it, they went on top and shoot with an arrow. And as far as the arrow goes, everybody who comes into that radius around that will have liberty, will have freedom. And they say when they shot this arrow, supernaturally the arrow went further. You don't have to believe all this stuff. This is what was happening in the day. And it's good to know this, to understand the church of that day. There was also a very rich bank where all people brought their treasures into because it was well guarded. And as you walked into it, they had a veil, similar to the temple, a veil. And behind that veil, there was this, this, this uh, a god that was sitting there, a shrine. And behind the shrine was the, the cove of treasure where they put all this money in. Why do I say this? It's applicable when you're going to see when God, when Jesus addresses this church. Because this place was known as a stronghold for Satan. A stronghold. 
They found many books there that they say was the formulas for sorcery, how to do sorcery. And there was a lot of magical arts that were performed in this place. And you see right into that place, Paul came in, in Acts chapter 19 verse 1. And, and while Apollos was in Corinth, that Paul having passed through the upper regions came to Ephesus and he found some disciples there. And you would remember he asked them, Where you, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they didn't even know about the Holy Spirit. And he baptized them. They were only baptized in the baptism of John the Baptist. So the church was established there. It became a very strong church. In fact, Paul was there. Timothy preached there. Apollos preached there. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila was there. And then John himself, who writes this revelation, was also there to preach to these people. So they had good word from God. No wonder that you find that both Churches appear in Paul's letters and also in Revelation. So this is the church's background there. And it's important to know that, so that when you see when Jesus chooses his title, that he addresses it to where they are. Look at the title in verse 1. He says, to the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars. The word there holds means, comes from the Greek word kratō, which means to have power and to take a hold of. So, so it's interesting. When Jesus chose this title for this particular church, it is in the midst of this power seed of Satan. And it's as if he says through his title when he comes to me, he could have chosen any other title. But he says to them, to the church of Ephesus, he who holds who cried to, who's got power over the seven stars. The seven, seven stars there is the messengers or the pastors of the church. So he holds them in his hand. And I want to show you another thing. He says, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. So in other words, Jesus Christ is right in the middle of the church. Isn't that a wonderful thing to know? Although I've He's painted this picture this morning to you about what's going on in the world. A lot of people are sitting there and, oh, the church is in trouble. It's not in trouble. Yes, I know. We see there's a lot of things going on in the church, but that's going to be sorted out. You remember, a couple of weeks ago I said, look, judgment's going to start in the house of God. Jesus Christ will come and sort it out. It's not my work to sort it out. I can preach and warn against that, but I need to preach the gospel to the poor, the brokenhearted. So how can you and I take comfort out of this? Friend, I don't know what your circumstances is this morning, but if Jesus Christ pick a title which is applicable to that church that day, He comes to you and He knows your circumstances and He comes into your circumstances addressing where and what you are in that place. We are different people. Have you noticed? I'm so glad everybody's not like me. I'd be bored. <laughs> How bored would it be if, if anybody was just like you? Everybody was an Oscar. Hi, Oscar. How are you doing? Hi, Oscar. Hi, Oscar. <laughs> no, we have different personalities. And because we have different personalities, we've got different relationships. We are different worlds we are living in. And these worlds are entwined in, in, in into each other. I mean, I'm friends with you. You are my brothers and sisters. Some of you, we've walked a long way. Some of you, we just met over here. How would I know to have people from Argentina that I know now well? But you see, we come here and, and our paths cross here at church. And we have fellowship here, just a small bit here. But then you go out and you've got fellowship with somebody else, which generates different circumstances, different realities. Know this, that... When Jesus Christ comes into your presence, into your midst, He comes with this title for your circumstances. How wonderful is that? And you will find it time and time after again when we're going to go through these seven churches. For this church, He's the one who holds the power and took hold of it. And to give them that comfort that in the midst of the seed of Satan... He is the one who holds power. Now he gives them an approval. Look at verse 2. He says, I know your works, 
your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and, and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. You see, this church it was a serving church. They were serving. It's like a beehive. They were busy. They did the works. Talks about a lot of activities. Let's do this for church. Do this for church. Do this for church. And it's good. He recommended that because the church needs that. It needs people to do the work of God. And let me just remind you, this is the work after the cross that matters. Because works before the cross of Christ means nothing. But works after the cross means a lot. But they were busy. There's a lot of activity going on. And then he says, your labor, you see, works and labor is not the same thing. Labor is to toil to the point of exhaustion. That means you sacrifice a lot. And I'll tell you, friends, I've seen people in churches who have sacrificed a lot for God. This is this church. I know your works. I know your labor is costing you something. It's taking something out of you. And I know your patience. It talks of endurance during persecution. In the midst of that place there. Surely they were persecuted. Why? Because you see, friends, they had people coming in and trying to come and mingle with them. Trying to find out who is the Christians here and then bring them out and give them over to be to be skilled and persecuted, although they were freedom there. And this church wasn't only a serving church, it was also a separated church. Separated. Look at this. He says you cannot bear those who are evil. And, and that's the same for churches today. But it amazes me there are some churches who can bear evil. Can I give you an example for which someday in the future I'm going to be thrown in jail? Gay and lesbians is wrong. It's evil in the sight of God. Yet there is churches today who bear those. But this church didn't bear those who are evil. Prostitution is wrong. It's evil. Abortion is evil. You see, these people spoke out against it. And not only that, individuals who were evil. And they were separated. You see, they tested those who say they are apostles and are not. This is only what John said earlier in the letters. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have come into the world. And I say it so often, I will not be offended if you test my spirit preaching to you the word of God. You need to test what I preach to you. Not only what I preach to you, but the spirit with what I preach it to you. Now, if you go up to somebody and you say, Brother, I've tasted your word, and they get angry at you, by their fruit you will know them. We all make mistakes. Am I, am, am, am I the, the only one who's fully known every single thing of the word of God? Dare I say that no. Are you? No. You can bring me the most clever person on this world who studied the scripture for his whole life. He falls short. He falls so short. I'll tell it to you with confidence this morning. And you might have seen something in the Bible and God blesses you. I might not have seen that. It doesn't say that you are wrong and I'm wrong. Look, if it is different with the blood of Christ and with salvation and the core doctrine and the foundation, that is wrong. He says these people, what they've done is uh, they tested those who say they're apostles. And do we have a lot of apostles today? Man, it amazes me. I told you before, I listen wide. I listen to the good stuff and the bad stuff. I want to know what's going in the world. I want to know what message the devil is preaching through his agents in the church. Well, that's a little bit rough, you said, Pastor. Well, that's fine. And then I turn it on and I go, Apostle so-and-so is going to preach to us today. And I think, friend, have you stand the test of an apostle? Have you seen Jesus Christ in physical life? Have you? Have you raised somebody from the dead? Have you? Apostle. Self-proclaimed apostles. And I know one thing for sure this morning. There cometh a day when they will bow their knees and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and they were walking in folly and error. You see, this church was good. 
They separated themselves from false deeds. Look at verse 6. But this you have, that you have deeds of the Nicolaians, which you hate. They separated them from the deeds of the Nicolaians. And I'll come to that when we get to that verse, because that is happening in our church today. So there's a lot of good things that's happening in this church. They're a serving church, they separated the, uh, separated church, and they're also a suffering people. Look at this. They persevered in patience and labored for the Jesus namesake. All good things, which they got an approval from Jesus. But then it says in one verse, Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. How tragic is that? All of this activity going on without love. All of these things done, the activities, the labor, the toil, every single thing, out of duty and not love. And I find so many things of those in families today. I'm going to talk to you straightforward. You know me over the years now. And if it hurts, then say, out and get on with it. Let the Spirit of God deal with you. You see, when you go to work, you work for God, not for your company. And the one whom you serve will promote you. The one whom you serve will promote you. If you serve your masters, they will promote you, but it's earthly promotion. If you serve God, He'll promote you. And when He is opening up a door to you, listen, that door will only be closed by Him. doesn't matter. And I'm not saying you're becoming a rebel. I'm not a rebel for Christ. No, I'm a follower of Christ. You see, these people have left their first love. And what is it to leave your first love? Now, I know there's a lot of people who's got different interpretations of that. But the one that I find most applicable is this one, is that your first love is the devotion to Christ, which you so often characterize with somebody who gave their heart to the Lord, or who the Lord saved. Just have, have you experienced it? When you got saved, how excited you was? Or you were, or you is? What tense is it? You were so excited. That first love. It wasn't an effort. I'm not talking just about the works. It wasn't an effort to, to, to pray to, to God for hours. It wasn't an effort. It wasn't an effort to open up your Bible and to read and to study the Word of God. It wasn't an effort to come into His fellowship. And being in His fellowship, you had fellowship with your brothers and sisters. Look at Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 1. It gives us a hint in that area. He says, Moreover the word of the Lord came to me saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. Saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember you, the kindness of your youth. This is all parts of first love. The love of your betrothal when you went after me in the wilderness in the land not show. You see, first love makes you go after God. You search for Him wherever you go. You get in your car and you drive and you search for the Lord in your car. Are you still doing it? I'm doing it, man. I'm driving down the motorway and sometimes I'm just praying out loud in the car. And I thank God for hands-free because earlier days before that, people looked at me and they shook their heads. Now they think I'm on the phone and I'm on a heavenly phone here. I'm talking with God. I'm praising. I'm singing. I'm saying praise the Lord. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Man, I'm driving and I'm singing that song. And they think, oh, he must be glaring off that radio playing golden hits. No, it's a golden hit from heaven. Hallelujah. That, that, that excitement of that first laugh for him. But you see, now it's a, it's a bundle of activities. I explain it in this way. Uh, I've got a dishwasher at home. I've got dirty dishes and I've got a daughter. Can you make the connections? Daughter need to put dishes in dishwasher. Okay? That's, that's the simplest way of putting it. Now, if I come in, there in the kitchen and I say, I want you by 5 o'clock this afternoon when I get home to put all the dishes in the dishwasher. Yes, Dad. What does that show? I'll do it because you ask. Is that love? No. 
<laughs> do you know that people are serving God like that? Oh, yeah, I'll do it. Go witness to that person. Oh, yeah, okay, Lord, if you want me to, I'll do it. Let's get together, the Bible says. He says, do not forsake the assembly. Of, you know, I look forward to Sunday mornings to come and to have fellowship with you. I, I, and, and you know what? I can't wait for the next families which is going to be introduced into this fellow. I can't wait. I pray. I am here for Sundays, man. I'm, I'm here to preach God's word and to fellowship with you. Oh, do we really have to go and do that? Okay, can you see the difference between love and works? He says to them, you do your works perfectly without love. You toil, you give everything up. It costs you something without love. Oh, Dad, if you want to, I'll do the dishwasher. But what if? What if I don't even have to ask that? What if I come home and Leonie comes home and boo, the dishwasher runs? We go, Sharia? Oh, Dad, you know, Mom, because I love you so much, I just did it. The first laugh. You see, he says to them it's an accusation, but it gets serious. This is not something that just happened by accident. Have you noticed the word left? You, didn't, you don't just lose it. He says you left your first laugh. It's a decision that you start doing to move away from God. And I hurry because I've taken a bit of time. I've got five more minutes. I was going to do it anyway. God bless your heart. He says it, and now comes the admonition from Jesus Christ. He says, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do His word, the first works, or else I will come to you you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. This is a warning. This is a serious warning. And you know what they say, the church fathers who wrote about Ephesus say that this church, before this letter came to them, was dwindling around going and they were going to lose that. And they did repent and went back and for a short time the church went up again and then later on it disappeared again into losing its first love. Let me tell you, many a church today has left their first love. I can only walk into a fellowship of a church and you can pick it up. And I'll tell you what is bringing down the first love of Christ. It is cliques within churches. Let's name it. It's having these little small groups within churches. And can you imagine a child of God, God sends somebody in the church and he walks in and he goes, oh, there's a little group there, there's a little group there, there's... How does it feel? No, no, the body of Christ is open for everybody. You walk in and you are my brother and my sister, doesn't matter where you come from. You can come from Pakistan, you can come from India, you can come from South Africa, you can all over the world. If you are the blood-washed child of God, you walk in, I'm embracing you as a brother and you immediately become part of our fellowship. Here, he says, how do we get back? There's just three things you do. He says, remember, remember. Then repent and then do. How is it these days that you have a gospel without repentance? Oh man, I can get hooked up on that. Just listen to somebody's testimony. No repentance. And here he says, repent. Repent means to make, not a 360 degree turn, you know that? If I'm walking in the wrong way and I go 360 degrees and then I go straight back. No, no. Make a 180 degree turn. Walk back. He says change your mind about your sin and walk back from, walk away from it. Walk away from this cold heartedness. Now what's going to happen if you don't do this? We pick this up in 1 Samuel what happened. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, 21 he says, Then she named the child Ichabod saying the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God has been captured and because her father-in-law is her husband. Now, friend, I'm telling you this now. There's a lot of churches who there's Ichabod in. And you know what they try to do? They try to vibe it up. Oh, let's sing louder. Let's have jumpy music these days. Let's shake the heads. Let's be vibrant. Let's do this. Doom, 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 dash, dash, dash. You know, let's try to ramp up this thing. And you know why they have to do it? Because Ichabod, the Spirit has departed. I don't have to do that. I preach the Word of God and it carries the Spirit of God. 
gigabyte. A lot of churches are going through this. Smoke machines. Let's dim the lights. Let's dim it. Let's get the atmosphere, the ambience ready. Let's have a full group of people and pump in those, 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 those smoke and then they get into the feeling. Are you feeling Christ? Are you feeling it? I'm asking, are you feeling Him? I don't have to feel Him. He's in me. Hallelujah. His Spirit is walking with me. I preach His Word, man. I don't have to do that. I, I quickly testify. I went to one of these churches in New Zealand once and, and, and I walked in and I sat down and they started this, this I call it disco or, or a rock band in the church and everybody stood up and they started jumping up and down. And I, was, so I started looking at the spectacle going on. And when I turned to the, to the one side, I had this woman looking at me, glaring at me. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Be careful of what's going on in the church. So, uh, now let's hurry on because I want to get to the last. Now, the Nicot Alliance, verse 6. But you have this, that you hate the deeds of Nicot Alliance. You know what Nicot Alliance were? There was a man called Nicot. And he was a people conqueror. They brought in where you can have immorality but still called a Christian. Listen to that. Immorality but you're still a Christian. And they came in. And the word Nicotholines comes from two words. Nico, people, lions, power, uh, conqueror. So it's people, conquerors. Watch out. What, I, look, I see it all the time. Look, friend, this doors are open. I'm not trying to conquer you. You come by your own means. I'm not putting a spell on you trying to keep you here. I'm not going to prophesy over you and say, oh, I hear from God a word over you to try to, to conquer you. No, but they do. It's happening in the church today. You see, it's applicable to our day and age. And now comes the promise. You see, who has, he who has an ear, he talks to the individual. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Plural. So it's not only for the church of Ephesus this is written to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from a tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. How wonderful is that? The tree of life. Where did we find this tree of life first? In the Garden of Eden. There in Genesis chapter 2 verse 9, it's mentioned. Where was it? It was in the Garden of Eden. Where is the Garden of Eden? People are still searching for it on this earth. It's destroyed. There was a flood. Where is that tree of life now? It's in heaven. I thank God for that. Could you imagine if a sinner could touch that tree of life? Then you would have the Nicot Alliance. You can have an immoral Christian. Praise God. But you and I, we can eat from that tree. Now let me finish with this parable. Remember, I said I'm going to compare the seven parables in Matthew 13 with the seven churches. You see, this is the seven churches. This is their state. But in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus Christ was telling us about the condition of the church. Now we bring it together, and you will see amazingly, as we're going to go on next week to the second church, and we go to the second parable, you'll be amazed that Jesus already, this is not an afterthought. He's just putting it now to the churches in the letter. But he already spoke it in parables, in Matthew 13. You remember the parable was about the seed? When he spoke about these parables, he says the sower went out to sow. He sowed, seed fell by the wayside. What was the seed? He gives the explanation in Matthew 13, 18. He says the word of the kingdom. That is what the seed is. Now it, it compares to first love. How is it the first time you heard the word of God and it penetrated your heart? You see, here it's about the condition of the heart. And see what happens here. He says... Some fell by the wayside. And what happens? The birds came in to devout them. So when he talks about it down here, he says, the word of the Lord, he does not understand, he says the word of the Lord came and does not understand it. The wicked one comes and snatches away what was shown in his heart. This is he who receives it by the wayside. So you hear the word of God, it falls by the wayside. The wicked one comes and he takes it away. You're so excited when you hear the word. Then you lost that love. Then he talks about the ones that fell on stony places. And what is that? He says, he hears the word immediately, receives it with joy. Wow, it is so great. Ooh, I love it. And then what happens? He has no root in himself, but he endures for a while. 
For when tribulation and persecution arise, the word immediately he stumbles, he leaves that first love. You see how it applies to the church? You see? And then he continues on. He says, and then amongst the thorns, and here he gives the explanation, verse 22, he says, the seed amongst the thorns is he who hears the word. Who's the word? It's Jesus. He hears it. And then the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, choke the word. He becomes unfruitful. Friend, that is what's happening to the church in Ephesus. The first love. Receiving the word and the worries of the world waxes the heart. And then he says, oh, remember when he says, remember, repent, and do. What about those who receive the word in their hearts? Keep that first love. He says, they fell on good ground, yielded crop by hundredfold, sixty and thirty. And he says it down here in verse 23. He see who hears the word, understands it, who in Indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, sixty and thirty. What is that fruit? It is the works. It is the works. If you want to see the, the fruit of repentance, go back to Luke. When they came to him and say, What shall we do? He says, You who have two tunings, jackets, what do you do? Give it away. Gone is selfishness. Can you see the parable and the first letter to the church? God bless you this morning. I hope you found something this morning and uh